I had some good advice early on before I went down that path. Um, I had done some business before and, you know, uh, had some good mentors who said, always separate business from personal. Make sure there's a clear line. Don't co-mingle. Make sure there's a clear line. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth by investing in real property, investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Tim Vest. And today, we're getting a pre-Great Recession, post-Great Recession perspective on where we stand today with the market, with the real estate market specifically. Tim is an experienced real estate investor who started investing before the Great Recession, went through the Great Recession, had some tough times that he's going to tell you about. And then now today in 2021, he is buying multifamily apartments and he's done other strategies in the interim, including properties in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia, and many other places around the country. And what we're going to learn about today is Tim's experience pre-Great Recession, his experience right now, and his perspective as to where we stand now compared to what happened before the Great Recession, really what caused the Great Recession and the crash in real estate prices, and his expectation as to whether the same type of crash is coming around the corner, right? And these are just opinions, right? We're just real estate investors with our experiences stating our opinions and our experiences as investors and what we've seen, what our expectations are for the future. We don't have a crystal ball, right? But we're looking at our past experience, looking at the conditions around us and seeing what we expect for the future. Is another real estate crash around the corner or not? Specifically informed by Tim's experience pre-Great Recession as a real estate investor who, and he's going to tell you about it, crashed and burned, right? Things went bad there in the Great Recession for Tim. Once again, like I said, he's going to tell you about it. He recovered. He's doing very well now. And we're going to get his his perspective as to whether another crash is right around the corner and why or why not. The why is really the most important point. So stick around. You're going to learn all of that. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a quick second, leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. That's much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us grow in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That helps me feel good because I get to see that you guys are engaging with the content and escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, please take a quick second. Look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode delivered straight to your mobile device. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I love looking at the past and understanding the past to inform our positions about where we are today and what we expect for the future. Once again, these are just opinions, right? We're just talking about his experience and his opinions about where we stand today and what he expects in the future. Really interesting conversation. I know you're going to learn a lot. I know I did. And without any further ado, here we go with Tim Vest. Tim, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Taylor. Thanks for having me on. It's been a great chat with you so far. It's come to find out you own some property in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia, and you just might own even more very soon. 
But for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do? And then we're going to dive right into it. Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, Tim Vest, like uh, Taylor said, I actually have a property there in uh, the Richmond area. But um, that's kind of what m- m- my company, Harvest, and my partners and I do. Uh, we're doing multifamily syndication uh, in the primarily in the Southeast, Virginia. I know some people argue that Virginia is not quite the Southeast, but we, we like to claim it. So Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee also has some stuff in Alabama. I'm looking in Florida, but I haven't gotten anything there yet. Um, but yeah, we uh, 27 units in, uh, in downtown Richmond, Virginia. We've got 64 more under contract in the area. And um, we're looking to expand in that market as well as a couple of other key markets around the Southeast. But yeah, that's kind of like what me and uh, Harvest Property Groups and our partners do. Great. Well, you know, like... Like I like to say, I mean, I'm a transplant from Richmond. I've been here uh, a few years, but in my opinion, the South starts just south of Petersburg, which for folks who you know don't know, which why would you? Petersburg is just a, a probably 30 minute drive south of Richmond. So, but that's just my opinion, not what we're going <laughs> to discuss today. You have an extensive amount of experience as a real estate investor, and now you're investing in multifamily using syndication, but it's not what you've always done. And the conversation I wanted to have today for the benefit of our listeners is learning about why that's what you do now and compare and contrast multifamily with some of the other asset classes that you've invested in in the past. So would you mind giving us an intro to the other strategies that you've used before multifamily? Yeah, sure. Uh, So actually the way I got into real estate was around 2006. Uh, Met a couple of guys that... uh, I have, I'm an IT guy by trade, uh, you know, I've been doing that since, uh, 1998, uh, ran into a couple of other IT guys I was working with. And, um, one of them was doing some, some land flips, land developments and, uh, uh, partnered, partnered up with a few of them. We got into some land developments here in the Southeast and, uh, specifically the South Carolina coastal region and the North Carolina mountains. And man, we were, we were loving it. It was going great 2006, 2007. Um, and then, uh, the, uh, the legendary market real estate market crash of 2008, 2009 came along and, uh, our land deals, uh, dried up, uh, dry, they dried up. Our developers went bankrupt. Things got pretty rough there for a little while, but always kept kind of an eye on real estate. Um, in fact, uh, started kind of working on cleaning that kind of stuff up, uh, with the eye towards, uh, pivoting into another area of real estate at the time. And as a lot of people will tell you, one of the big opportunities that came out of that space was single family, um, in the 2010 through, you know, even today, single family was a hot spot, a lot of opportunity there. So I kind of got into the fix and flip single family rentals, um, built a little bit of a portfolio there and decided, uh, decided towards around 2018 that I wanted something that scaled a little more than single family. Um, started to look around a little bit, was looking at self-storage, was looking at flex industrial warehousing. Um, really, I guess in hindsight, I should have gone into distribution centers. Um, but, uh, Hey, uh, I started to see dealing with tenants, doing rentals, um, that carries over to multifamily. So it wasn't a complete uh, pivot or change. Uh, so I went into multifamily a little bit, uh, primarily because of that and the fact that multifamily does what land development sometimes doesn't do. And that gives you multiple exit strategies. There's multiple ways to hold it, maintain it, exit. 
um, which the land deals didn't. And that was one of the big lessons I learned coming out of the, that 2008 timeframe. So uh, around 2018, uh, 2019 pivoted into multifamily and then have spent the last couple of years building my network, building my partnerships and, um, going after multifamily deals. And that, that's where we are today. That's great. And thanks for, for bringing us up to speed. And, you know, one of the things that often comes up, I mean, the whole time I've been a real estate investor, which is not quite as long as you, of course, but you know, as long as I've been, folks have been waiting for the next great recession there. They've been saying, you know, the next one's right around the corner. I've been hearing that since, yeah, I don't know, 2015 is around when I started getting into real estate space. And I don't know, it hasn't happened yet, but you bring that perspective of, you know, pre great recession getting, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm a little caught up in the hype. I don't know. But comparing that situation to today where prices are skyrocketing now, right? For a myriad of reasons. What do you think about today's market conditions compared to at that time? You know, if you're looking in your crystal ball, are you expecting another major crash like that? And if so, why? If not, why not? Yeah, in my opinion, and it's clearly that it's just an opinion, you know, I'm not professional analyst or anything like that. But, you know, I was I was on the wrong side of 2008. And I was very, very involved with lenders at the time. And what I saw with lenders then and what I'm seeing with lenders today is completely different. Lenders then, hey, stated income, tell me what you make. Hey, if you submit, I know you only qualify for a million dollars worth of properties, but if you submit for this $2 million worth of properties all at the same time, our systems can't recognize the difference and you'll get approved (laughs) for the whole thing. Those types of things, right? Um, I know you only qualify for two houses, but we'll figure out how to get you five. Um, I don't see that today. In fact, one of the biggest complaints that we're getting from some of our um, sellers that, that we work with, and quite frankly, some of our brokers and partners, investment partners, is that it's taking too long to close on things. And right now, the closings, that the delays that we're seeing, it's not it's not the GP team. It's not the general partner team. It's the lenders. Uh, the lenders are very strict with their due diligence right now. They're very strict in vetting um, um, the people they're lending to. There's no more of the stated income stuff. Um, the level of documentation that requiring is um, much more comprehensive. Um, so I only offer that up to say that to that that what I saw cause 2008. I don't see that same trend today. Now, I 100% believe there'll be a market correction because I think there's a ton of people in the market right now overpaying for things. Um, I think there's absolutely going to be a correction from that standpoint. I think there's a lot of people getting into deals right now that are overpaying. They're going to have a hard time if when interest rates rise, uh, when these five-year balloons that they're signing on to come due. Um, so yeah, there's going to be some pain points there, I think. Um, I see... If you had to ask me, if I had to pinpoint something, um, I don't see it as a crash as much as I do a cooling. You know, I think there's a lot of people, you know, we've seen massive appreciation in the last 12 to 18 months. That's obviously going to cool off. And and then I think there's going to be, I think three to five years from now, there's going to be opportunity from people who overpaid today more than so much a, you know, a crash like we saw in 2008, 2009. So if I, if I had to guess that's the way it could be, uh, maybe I'm completely wrong. The one thing I hear out there right now that kind of scares me a little bit 
is this idea of a 40-year mortgage or a 40-year term making its way into the commercial space. Oh, man. Um, I I haven't actually run into that. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, you know, there's a... Loans happen 10, 25, 30-year, you know, periods. There's this idea, and, and then there is a 40-year product, I believe, in the um, in the residential space right now. I can kind of see it on the residential side. When you get into the commercial space, you know that one scares me a little because uh, now you really got people who are trying to. Because typically in the commercial side, it's more often than not people are trying to get in and out of things in a period of time, right? Like three years, five years, maybe mm-hmm. ten. Um, you spread those payments out for a longer period of time. Obviously, you're not building that that equity, right? You know, um, and you know, I think people are going to go out and they're going to use that as a way to buy more than they can actually afford. Um, which, hey, recognizing a similar theme, right? Just a different way of getting more than you can afford. That piece concerns me a little bit. So, I think there. I think when you start to see that make it into the commercial side in a big way, um, when you see when that starts to become a common thing. Um, that may be a time to start to kind of raise your eyebrows a little bit and go, maybe I'm going to pull back and wait. Interesting. So that'll, that'll be something to watch out for, but that seems a little bit different from what you're saying about pre great recession, where there was no real qualification of the borrower or the property where that was a huge expansion of credit. And then the recession happened and the credit market locked up and that, you know, all went away. Yeah. Compared to, okay, maybe we're still getting a, there's too much money in the system. We're extending amortizations a bit too long, but we're still qualifying our borrowers. So it's maybe not quite as dire. I can see why you'd expect a, a cooling off, but not a precipitous yeah. destruction of the market. Like again, again I, I could be wrong, but I, I just see way more uh, due diligence and, and, you know, criticism or yeah, uh, of, of the buyers right now and who they're lending to. Um, you know, I know, I know there are things that I could have gotten into 12 years ago that I can't touch today. Um, they just won't, they won't look at me, even though my net worth's more, my, my income's more, um, they just won't touch me because they're just way more critical, you know, even from, and, and you're seeing them adjust, right? Like over, um, um, uh, when when they started to see uh, an influx over the last year or two, they being the um, the agency lending, when they started to see an influx of um, people coming into the space that had no real experience or, or qualification or track record, they put a they the agency debt started to put um, some qualifications or some standards there. You know, you've got to have X number of years experience before you can qualify for this and you know, five or more units for three years, I believe is what they're talking about. Um, you know, they put that on the loans. Um, so, you know, that's obviously them trying to, you know, put some sort of, you know, guardrails in place, if you will. Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments, self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more? CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform, and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, in those deals. Go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started, or click the link in the show notes. See the CrowdStreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started. 
Well, that's good. I mean, it sounds like, you know, and we we've seen that we didn't really we didn't have that, you know, before the Great Recession and there was very little, um, you know, vetting of, of borrowers. Now, when you were doing your land development deals pre Great Recession, how were those financed and where are you getting the money? You're partnering with other people. How was that all put together? Sounds like it's going to be a funny story. I don't know if it's a funny story as much as it's looking back on it. You're like, hmm, maybe there was a reason. Yeah, the way those typically work was uh, what a lot of people don't understand is uh, when developers go after a, uh, a development opportunity, they'll in some ways, they'll find ways to secure the land and then they need capital to put in infrastructure before they bring it to the general market. Um, so they'll look for people or partners to um, to kind of get in, uh, get into an agreement with where they can leverage that partner's credit, their cash to put in the the infrastructure and they'll leverage the land against against that. So what that means is the developers would come to us and they would go, you know, we're going to sell you, we got a hundred acres. We're going to sell you 10 acres for 500 grand, uh, 10% that we got this agreement with the bank, 10% down. Um, and you can get 10 acres of the land for $500,000. And then by the way, we're going to buy it back from you a year from now, 18 months from now, here's a guarantee. Here's a contract. We're going to buy it back at 625 deal. Yeah. So if you think about that, uh, they already had a pre, uh, pre set up or a prearranged agreement with a bank, a lender. We go to the bank, we'd put down 10% of 500 grand. The bank would give us a loan for 450. We'd give, uh, basically 50,000 cash and, you know, the credit to the, the developer. And in a year or two, a uh, year to 18 months, they'd uh, write us a check for 625 and we'd do it again. Um, so for $50,000, we made a hundred and what's that? 125. Um, that's, that's not bad. Um, and, and it, and it worked really, really well until, uh, until the developer came and said, I can't pay you, but feel free to keep the land. And I had 10 acres in the middle of a nowhere North Carolina mountain with no roads to get to it. <laughs> so not in that, not outside of Asheville is way out. Yeah. Maybe, maybe an hour out of Asheville. Oh, geez up on the top of a mountain that looked very pretty from the road because there were a lot of trees in the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, you know, we can chuckle about it now. Uh, and, and I do, um, cause, cause quite honestly, um, you know, looking back on it, like I said, now some things make sense to me where I'm like, there should have, there were warning signs I should have recognized. Um, now the good thing was at that time we weren't syndicating a thing. It was just me and my partners. It was our cash. It was our credit. Um, and looking back on it, you know, that one taught me a beautiful lesson, which was one, don't speculate with other people's money. And I don't to this day. Um, I can honestly say I've never lost a dime of somebody else's money. Um, that's good, which is good. Um, and, um, and then two, don't do things that don't have multiple exit strategies. We had one way out in that deal and it was completely dependent on a developer and I don't do that. So when you know you asked me like one reason I went into multifamily, that was one of the qualification points, right? I, I wanted to go into something that I could hold if I had to, with cash flow if it needed, if I needed it to. And then you know there were three or four different ways to disposition the asset if we really needed to. Um, and multifamily lends itself well to that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like from when you're describing these land deals and that the developer wrote you this guarantee. Well, the guarantee is only really as good as the developer's cash flow. Sure. So if they're not able to put that cash together to pay you for the land, then as happened, you end up with a piece of land that you don't need. Yeah. 
or, or, or that agreement to your point, that agreement was with the developer. And when that developer went bankrupt, I had a, and a contract agreement signed by an entity that did not exist. Anymore. Oh, so <laughs> it was cool. Well, you know, I was going to, I was going to ask why they, the developer would make that guarantee to you, but that is a way for them to transfer a decent amount of the risk over to you because as happened, you held that note, you had to make the payment to the bank and you were waiting on the developer to buy you out. They did pay you a pretty healthy risk premium once Mm -hmm. the deal went through, if the deal went through and they still went bankrupt. So you know, I don't know. I guess that answers that question. Why they would? But, but you, you make in. a good point—a risk premium, right? Um, and you know, again, another lesson that came out of that is you're absolutely right, right? Returns tend to follow, you know, what the risk is on it on a particular um, investment. And in that case, we were super aggressive, super aggressive. Me and my partners, and and I'm I'm telling you all the lessons we learned. Um, I'm telling you all the things we did wrong, right? Um, super aggressive. Uh, every dime we made, we didn't. We had well-paying technology jobs. We didn't need that money to live, pay the mortgage, anything like that. So we're like, let's just keep, let's just keep bankrolling it, man. Let it ride, keep rolling it. <laughs> so everything we made, right back into the next deal. If we had enough money and, and credit to do two deals, when we got the money back, all of a sudden we had enough money and credit to do five deals. So we did five. Um, hindsight should have, you know, taken taken your initial investment at least. Put it back in the bank and let and roll the profits at most, right? Or or even better, keep half, redeploy half, um, something. Um, which is, by the way, a, a really strong lesson that I've carried over in the multifamily. When we make profits every month, we keep a portion, we re we keep a portion back in reserves, we redeploy a portion. Um, so you know, that's that's just been a, a lesson that came out of that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to to learn that lesson, and I'd like to learn more uh, real quick quick about your experience of hitting that bottom at a certain point. And you know, I, personally, I've never you know been in in financial straits so yet. I hope that doesn't happen, right? But I can't. I can only imagine the I guess heartache or the difficulty of finding yourself in uh, a serious financial position as a result of. I don't know. I don't want to call it a gamble, but of this business you were in and then trying to figure out how you're going to recover and, you know, get it all back. And then some. Yeah. So, so the biggest thing for me was, so I, I had some good advice early on before I went down that path. Um, I had done some business before and, you know, uh, had some good mentors who said, always separate business from personal, make sure there's a clear line. Don't co-mingle, make sure there's a clear line. So the good news in that was that anything that I had personal that um, was not in my name um, was in my spouse's name. That was that was fine because my wife has never been involved with my businesses. Right, um, that's my thing. She has no interest in it, quite frankly. So that that was the, that was good. There was a level of protection there. They could only come after so much of my personal. So that that was a good thing. Now, me personally, on paper to invest, I was broke. I was bankrupt. I didn't have anything. Now, the good news is, is my wife is very successful and she does very well. And she was able to cover the mortgage and keep food on the table and, and you know, make sure our daughter had clothes. Um, so from that standpoint, we were good. Um, but me personally, I did not have anything. My net worth was negative. And 
probably the worst part of that was having to go to my wife and say, Hey, remember all this money I was making? <laughs> it's gone. That was tough. And then, you know, there's also that feeling of going out to people that, you know, you had partnered with or that you knew and friends and family and things like that. And you, you, you go through that period of time where you just kind of feel like you know, you're a bit of a failure. Right. Um, and then just from a pride standpoint, knowing that, um, knowing that I had reached that point, um, and that my business was a failure that that was tough. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I've always looked at things, you know, from my sports background and things like that, I've always looked at things as, as, Hey, as long as you learn something from it, it's not a complete loss, right? It's, it's not a failure. It's not a failure till you quit basically. Um, so, you know, I, I truly believe that. And had I allowed that to make me just curl up in a ball and, and say, I'm done, <laughs> you know, then, then maybe it would have been a bad thing, but I learned a ton from it. Um, I'm way more fiscally responsible for because of it. And quite frankly, I'm able to bring that experience to my investors now and make sure that, make sure that that doesn't happen for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but, one of the things that, that, you know, I think we have that perspective now generally, but people can get a little excited if they don't have the experience. You know, there's, there's, was this idea back then in a way that you can't lose money in real estate, which is ridiculous. You can of course lose money in real sure. estate, but you know that <laughs> I hate to say it, you know that firsthand and you've recovered from it. Sure. And I want to, before we move on to the last part of the episode, I want to leave it on a high note, right? Cause you were telling yeah. me about this deal that you currently own in Richmond that is awesome. You're obviously doing well. I think there's a ton of value to be added there. Tell us about what's what's in the future, right? Because I, I don't want to I want to leave our listeners on a high note here with all the positive things that are that are going on for you. So whatever you can tell us, you know, let her rip. Yeah, man. Um, so definitely on a positive note, um, especially in the last oh wow, like eight months. Um, a lot of slow, there's a lot of slow real estate going on in the last year coming out of COVID. But wow, in the last eight months, things have really, really picked up. Currently, we have uh, we just closed on that property in Richmond back in uh, June. Um, really, really excited about that one. Um, it's in the Shaco Slip area, which folks, if folks, if you don't know Richmond, um, that Shaco Slips, like Shaco Bottom, um, awesome spot, great area, um, beautiful area. Um, the the city has done a great job with that um, with with that whole spot there, um, in terms of just keeping the fill and and but bringing it up to kind of modern times. Um, that building is one of the last few kind of um, uh, kind of uh, I guess you'd say opportunities that hasn't quite fit the kind of the renovation of the area that's going on. A lot so of value lot, add potential. Yeah, a lot of value add potential there. Um, and so we're going to, we're going to try to bring that building up to the standard of the area that it's sitting in, um, to the left, to the right, beautiful properties. This building could use a little TLC and we plan to give it, uh, ourselves. Um, and then from there, uh, we've got some deals going on. We've got, uh, we're taking on a student housing play in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Cool. Uh, no Dunder Mifflin jokes, please. Um, <laughs> Um, and, uh, and then we're, uh, we are going heavily into South Carolina. Um, we're very, very excited about some properties that we have under contract in Columbia, South Carolina, and also right around Charleston, South Carolina. Um, love Charleston. Um, love that area. The growth there is phenomenal. Um, 
I guess the secret got out. Um, but uh, yeah, those are those are some of the spots. And then we're expanding our uh, portfolio around the Richmond area. I know Colonial Heights isn't quite Richmond, but it's up that way. If you don't live in Richmond, then it's it's might as well be Richmond. But yeah, I mean, at least from out. Charlotte, it's much closer to Richmond. <laughs> yeah, <right>. um, <laughs> it's the MS Richmond MSA. That's good yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. So we're excited about that. Yeah, I mean uh, the mo- the deal momentum uh, couldn't be happier with that. Um, and uh, like I said, we're implementing all those lessons learned from from the last fifteen years. We're putting it into our business plans here. Uh, making sure our investors are taken care of and um, and uh, building out some pretty some pretty cool business plans. Yeah. Great. Well, like I said, I wanted to leave it on a high note here, and I'm going to have to take a minute to a couple of minutes to drive past the property that you have here uh, down in Shaco. But uh, yeah, great area to be investing in, and it sounds like, like I said, a lot of uh, value add potential in that property right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Tim, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Sure. Go for it. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Best investment I've ever made other than my education? Oh, this is going to sound really bad, but uh, I'm going to have to say my my relationship with my family. I got to be honest; um, they're they're what kind of drives me. They give me the why. Everybody talks about having a why. They're my why, and um, investing in and making sure that I keep that relationship strong is uh, extremely important for me. And um, having a teammate like my wife there who backs me and completely believes in me, that's been huge. Um, So I got to go with that one. Absolutely. Love it. Well, we had the best investment. We might know the answer to the second question already, but we're going to ask it anyway. What is the worst investment you ever made? Oh, man. So worst investment I've ever made. I know you guys are going to think I'm talking about this stuff from 2006, (laughs) but I'm going to go with this. I'm going to go with this because... I did have a little issue there for a while where I love new cars. Every new car I've ever purchased, worst investment I've ever made. It's done nothing but depreciate. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, just keep that in mind, guys. Like, uh, you know, I, I, if I think back to all the 
appreciating assets like real estate I could have purchased uh, for for what I put into those things. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the, the, amount, worst. the amount you spend on a new car is basically a down payment on a rental property, depending on where you're buying and everything. And that rental property, if you buy it right, it's going to go up, going to cash flow. And that car is definitely going to turn into nothing within a few years. So something. The, the, only, the only people, you might have some people like come in and say, Hey, in the last three months, my truck has appreciated <laughs> right. four grand. Cause, cause I'm hearing crazy things go on in the used car market right now. Mm -hmm. But folks, that's, this is an anomaly. Um, yeah. You can thank the federal reserve and the massive disruption and in international trade for that is certainly yeah. not normal market conditions. Yeah. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing partnership? 100% partnership. I've had businesses, I've started a couple of businesses, you know, in my time and a couple of them I've tried to do myself. One of them was reasonably successful by myself. Um, but the ability to scale, the ability to get a different perspective, the ability to bring different skill sets um, and partnerships been everything. Um, what I've been able to do in a short period of time in the multifamily space has been all because I took a period of time before I bought my first property in multifamily and and built some strong partnerships. Um, and then it just hockey stick, it's hockey sticking from there. Um, a little bit of time building the relationships, got them going, got some good partners and man, it's taken off. Um, so I got to say partnerships. Nice. I love that. And I agree. Partnerships are really the, the core of real estate investing in your network generally is so important as a real estate investor. And Tim, thank you for joining us today and bringing us this pre-Great Recession and post-Great Recession uh, perspective on the real estate investing world. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about your business or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm all over LinkedIn. Uh, catch me there. Um, and then harvestpg.com. Um, and then tvest at harvestpg.com. Um, shoot me an email and uh, let's connect. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That helps me feel good because I get to see that you guys are engaging with the content and escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.